Read along with me if you would, please. Then God said to Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there, and make an altar there to God, who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods that are among you. Purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go to Bethel, and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods that were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears. And Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. And they journeyed and the terror of God was upon the cities that were all around them. They did not pursue the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Lut, which is Bethel, which is in the land of Canaan, Canaan. And he and all the people who were with him, and he built an altar there, and he called it the place El Betel. Would you say El Betel? Excellent. Because there God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. Would you pray with me, please? God in heaven, we recognize that upon our own merit, we have no right to ask anything of you. But you're a God of mercy. You're a God of adoption. And you've adopted us. As we read, oh, how great the love the Father has lavished on us that we would be called his children. And I pray for very much that. That as we approach you as your children, in view of your mercy, approaching your throne of grace, we ask, and we ask, God, for you to do this magnificent work. We recognize every time we assemble, there are needs that only you can meet, and only you can meet supernaturally. There are several here, Lord, from different, well, many of us from different countries, but some, English is still a bit difficult. But I don't have a problem coming to you, Dad, and asking, would you please speak into their ears what they need to hear today? So that, regardless of how I say it, they can understand it. You know where all of us are, and by the power of your Holy Spirit, you can speak fluent us individually, meeting us right where every one of us is at, to draw us closer, more meaningfully, and more rightfully into the right relationship, further growing in you, and further taking possession of the calling that you've placed on our lives. And so God, I recognize that has to be a supernatural act. And you're just the God for the job. I lay it before you. I openly declare confidently that you love every, every, every one of us and want to speak to us now, want to interface with us now, want to draw close to us now. Please do that. And please let us hear you. Please let us obey you. 
please let us follow you. And in that, please let us celebrate you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Sing with this song. It is about as many, oh, might I say this? I should before any. Please don't just assume what I say is true. Search the scriptures. Let the Bible always be the authority. Never let a man tell you he has authority over scripture. It's so wrong. That's my advice. Scripture has authority over man. As any man thinks that somehow God's to be his servant and not that he is to serve God, Look twice. The Bible says to test all things. Now, if I'm going to tell you to test me, as I would, then surely I will tell you, test everything you hear. That's the sun, the metro, tribunes. That's the people on TV with educations and degrees. It's everyone. It's roughly as many years before Jesus as we are now beyond roughly in the 2000s BC. This is the grandson of Abraham. And when God handed Abraham his calling, his grandpa, he already knew what family Abraham would have. He told him his descendants would be as the stars of the sea. And though Abraham at that time, Abram couldn't possibly even fathom having a child. God already knew the names of every grain of sand that would pour forth from the beast of Abram. With his grandson, Jacob, before his birth, God had already announced part of his calling. That though he and his twin brother would be at enmity with each other, two worlds colliding, that ultimately he would be the one that would be victorious. God already knew before he was born that this boy would be a mama's boy, mom's favorite, and dad's lesser. He knew about the stew that would come, that Jacob would seek to maneuver himself to get what was already his. He knew about Jacob's deception when he would deceive his father, pretending to be his brother, to get what was rightly his. But he still had his calling. He knew how Jacob would flee at the conniving of his mother, but he still gave him his calling. He knew how Jacob would discover him en route, fleeing from his brother, to head up on his way to find his mother's family. And there he would discover God, Jacob, at that point, with nothing. No protection other than God. No provision other than God. No friend other than God. No direction other than God. And it would be there that he would discover that God himself is the very bridge between heaven and earth. Jacob, in a vision, would not see his good works as an escalator. He would not see his charitable deeds as the escalator between heaven and earth. But God himself, from which angels ascended and descended upon, God himself to top. I've heard it said 
often you may never know that God is all you need until he's all you have. Jacob was in a place where God really was all he had. And that place he called house of God. Out in the open, in the thousand star hotel of the open field, staring at the open sky, was his God's house. But he still had a lifetime of adventures to encounter. And God knew it. He knew about the bait and switch of Leah and Rachel. He knew about the 20 years of service before he gave him his calling. He knew about the four wives and the 12 children and the one yet to come that, will, by the way, we'll find next week, bring about death. He knew about the mandrakes. He knew about the stripped almond and chestnut branches. He knew about the speckled and the spotted and streaked lambs that would come from it. And yet, even with all of that conniving, God still gave him his calling. Because he knew it all ahead of time. He also knew about the all-night wrestling match that Jacob was going to encounter. That God says, you have an appointment you have yet to discover. And now we look back at it. He also knew about Jacob going north to meet his father in the south. Not because he was lost and he wouldn't ask for directions, but because he was after reconciling from his brother, heading in an opposite direction, not going where he should be. He knew about that vow that he had made back at God's house. If you take care of me, if you provide for me, if you keep me alive, give me food, clothing, food, and bring me back safely, you can be my God. Not just God, but my God. God knew all of that. He would know that if Jacob were to return right now, God would have fulfilled his end and Jacob would have had to fulfill his and Jacob heads north instead of south. And there in Shechem, he built his first of two altars. He calls it the God of Israel after God tells him, your name's not Jacob anymore, it's Israel. You're no longer the heel catcher. Now you're governed by God. Struggled with God more. In your surrender, he would know about the violation of his daughter in a place that he shouldn't be and how Jacob would be negligent to respond. He knew about his sons that would step it up and become homicidal maniacs and revenge for which Jacob also would not respond. But with, you've got me in trouble. He still gave him his calling anyway. You see, the difference between God and anyone else you'll enter into a relationship with, is that God actually knows everything about you when he enters into the relationship. If I wanted you to like me, I would hand-select the areas of me that I think would be most likable and appropriate for you. Then the problem is, the digger you deep, the digger you deep, see what I mean? Obviously communication will not be one of those. The deeper you dig, the less good things you're going to find because I put them all up front. Does that make sense? Hi, here are the five things you might like me if I put in front of you. And you're like, what are beyond those? I'm like, don't, don't, don't look. It's like I was trying to sell you at a house, but the house was really a mess. But I put all of the nice stuff in one room and then showed you that one room. And you're like, well, well let me see the rest of the house. And you're like, no, no, actually, no, this is good enough. And we do that with our life. And then we're fearful when people then dig in a little bit because, to be honest, that's when you start discovering if people who like that room aren't your friends, 
the people who actually start to walk through the rest of your house and go, this is a mess and I love you anyways, and they discover those things. And then you kind of realize the farther they get away from that room, the worse the house is. And if they still are okay with it, they become friends. But we know that there are some that we're just convinced if they get to that room back there somewhere, the deal's off. That's it. No more. And we could have been friends, but I had no idea you were struggling with that, that you were weak in that area. I had no idea that's the way you think, or that's something that's happened to you, or something you did, or whatever it is. And somewhere down the line, that's sort of like Beauty and the Beast. And it's like, don't go to the East Wing! You know, and you're like, okay. And then there's God. And because it's so common and easy to approach Him like we would anyone else, we're afraid of what God already knows for him to discover. And then what happens is, something happens in our life where we've really just been doofus. And we come to God and we're like, God, what about now? Could you still want me? Could you still use me? Would you still love me? And at best, we might approach him like we would the prodigal son on his return, saying, Father, I'm not even worthy to be called your son. Just make me somebody who sweeps up the church or cleans the toilet. And as long as I can get to heaven, I, I, and I don't even deserve that, but would you just get, can we get that far with it? And how we love that story because of how the Father is so, goes so far beyond our expectations. And Jesus looking at Peter after he had denied him three times and asking him, Lord, do you love me? Jesus knows the answer. But now I'm going to call you. Now that you're broken. Now that you know you a little bit better. A little bit more like I know you. And that becomes tough. Now why do I say that? Because where is Jacob at this moment? He's still in Shechem. I remind you, he's not supposed to be in Shechem. He bought land in Shechem. He built an altar in Shechem. His daughter was raped in Shechem. His sons have now murdered all the men of Shechem. What, when do you leave? I think after you've murdered all the men, that would, it would have been wiser to leave before that, of course. But that would be a good time, especially when he said, now everyone else is going to want to kill me. That's enough reason to leave for me. How about you? Could you imagine this is the moment when God knows him? This moment, he didn't get anything right at this point. It isn't like he went, okay, now I'm going let, to, let's clean up this whole thing and let's get it right and all this, and then God's going to meet him once he cleaned up his act. But that is not what we find, friends. You know why? Because God already knew all of this beforehand. When he handed him his calling, he already knew all of this. In Romans 11.29, it tells me, and by the way, these are verses I cling to very greatly, and one of them is God's gifts and callings are irrevocable. Do you know what that means? It means God is never going to give you something and take it back. That includes the gift and the calling he's placed on your life. Like, well, I've done something really stupid. Well, then don't do it again. Can I love you enough to say that? Stop it. But stop thinking that somehow you surprised God with that and now he's changed his mind. He knew all of that before when he gave you the calling in the first place. In Jeremiah 9.23, it tells us that let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man in his might, let not the rich man in his riches, but him who glories, let him glory in this, that he understands 
And he knows me, I the Lord, exercising loving kindness and judgment and righteousness in the earth for envied things. I delight. God delights. He delights in exercising loving kindness. Now, that should not give you license to sin so that God could exercise, because he also loves and delights in exercising judgment. But he'd like, rather make you right. And Micah 7.18, it tells us this. Who is, what God, or who is God like you, pardoning iniquity, p- passing over the transgressions of the remnant of your heritage? Those heritage, he does not retain his anger forever, but he delights in mercy. And thus becomes our promise. You see, there are other religions out there that will tell you that their God is merciful. Definition is everything. There are some that will tell you they pray to their God, O merciful God. But you know what that means? In the end of it all, he may not count all of your wickedness. That's it. That's all it means. That when he sits as judge in the end, he just may not actually give all of your sins the weight they deserve, but there's still too many anyway. But the mercy of God is way different than that. It's more than just, okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, that was an 8, but we're going to call it a 6. And, be, you know, and in the end of it all, the problem is we still can't pay for the 6. God's mercy is restoring a relationship with you. Because actually, God happens to be upset with having a relationship with you and me too. When God tells Jacob here to go to Bethel, he's not telling him that as punishment. He's not telling him that so that he can get him there and whoop him. But notice here, God meets him. Listen to this in Lamentation 3.21, and we'll get to our text. When I recall this to mind, I have hope. For the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not. You know what that means? Have you ever had your compassions fail? I have. Moments when someone has burned me and burned me and burned me. There was this sort of relationship that I was in much, much younger in life. A friend that I had. And this particular friend had this cycle, and the cycle would be that they would get all kinds of weirded out, and they would just say all kinds of nasty things to me, and just be awful, and just say anything you can possibly imagine. And then somehow in that, they would break, and kind of get weak, and cry out for help. And then, and then you'd be there, and you kind of, so you were, you were basically punching bags for about an hour and a half, and then after all of that, you kind of reached out, and you were able to be the soft shoulder. And then I felt like, well, I felt that somehow I felt like I was being somebody incredibly martyrous for this. And then I remember, sincerely, one of the scariest moments of my entire life, this particular person went through this whole tirade of normal. And then I reached inside my bag of compassion, and it was empty. And I remember staring this person in the face and saying, I, I have nothing left to give you. And it was clearly scary, one of the scariest moments of my life. And I just got up and walked out. I never thought in my whole life, could ever be at the point where I would be emptied off of my own compassion. I know what it's like to have my compassion fail. But here he does it. His compassions never fail. But I've blown it. His compassions never fail. And I've blown it again. And I need him. 
And this is not license to sin. It's a serious cause to sin, right? Now with that, and that's, by the way, in Lamentation 3, then it says, to the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because it's mess and still not. And the next thing we read is, they are new every morning. The first one that we get, that is mentioned, new every morning. And it's from Lamentation 3. Great is your faithfulness. In chapter 35 of Genesis, verse 1, God says, Now arise, Jacob, go. But he called him Israel. So why now, Jacob? Because unfortunately, like perhaps you, certainly like me, unfortunately, there's way too much Jacob and too little Israel in my life. My wrestlings far outnumber my surrender. And Jacob is in a pretty lousy place. And he says, Jacob, go back to Bethel. What's in Bethel? Do you remember? Bethel is the place where I revealed myself, says God. The place where you first met me. Where you saw me as the bridge of heaven and earth. Your refuge, your keeper, your provider, your only hope. Remember, now don't just remember me. Remember you in Bethel? Remember who you were in Bethel? You know who you were? Freaked out. That's who you were. You were afraid. You were fleeing. You were scared. And you were alone. You were escaping your past. You were hopefully surviving your present and were ignoring your future because all you could think of at that moment is, get me out! And you were in the middle of this. Do you remember that? You were scared. You were alone. You were empty. And you were helpless. Do you remember that? You were helpless. Now look at you. Rich man. Now look at you, family man. Four wives, twelve kids. They're out of control. Come back home. Home, home. Bethel, house of God. God's not telling you go home to your home. God's saying come home to my home. That's what he's saying. Now here's the problem with that. Scripturally, there's two aspects you better look at. There's the personal and the practical. Here's the beautiful part. The personal is one step away. According to the book of God, the Gospel of John, chapter 14, verse 6, it says that the Holy Spirit convicts us when righteousness is our sin. We've hardened our hearts to Him, and somewhere down the line, He's broken through, and we realize, I am not where I should be. In 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and cleanse us from all, not some, not part, but all unrighteousness. Being right with God, personally, is one chair away. And if you're not right with God, if you've never been right with God, because like all of us, you're a sinner, and without calling out to Him, you will never be saved. The good news is you are one prayer away. So here's the problem. If you've been living in the far country like the prodigal, there's a practical aspect and lots of changes happen in the practical. So you're one prayer away to be right with God personally. To have a lifestyle that's right with God practically is going to involve some change. And that's what we have here in these two verses. Notice what God says. Get up. Go up. 
the best of us. You will never practically be right with God if you won't get up and go up. Sitting down is chances are how you got in the wrong place in the first place. Sitting on your couch watching the world influence you, floating on a screen you shouldn't be in in the first place, instead of seeking to be like Jesus. And listen, whether you know it or not, scripturally it tells us you are either going to be influenced or influencing. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no like coasting in scripture. There's no place in between where you're really kind of not influencing, but not influenced. You just kind of, well, that would be called a coma, by the way. And even there, by the way, most people don't make it out of comas because something is going to influence. There's going to be an influence that's going to win. Something has to dominate. And maybe you're thinking, yeah, you know what? I'll get right with God. I'm sure that, you know, I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry out to God today. And then as, as I do, I'm like, God, open up my heart. And God says, all right, I'll tell you what. Here's some changes I want to make in your life. And you're like, no, 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 no. I just want to be right with you. And God says, yes, but don't you want to stay right with me? Don't you want to stay in this place where you're intimate and close and where you actually your heart skips a beat when you hear my name and you're excited about going into my house? And remember, that's this whole idea. If I want you back at my house, is what God is saying. You moved out. How intimate can we be? Think of it this way. Once upon a time, there was a girl, and her name was Berenna. And Berenna was the daughter of the lovely family of Boti and John. And they were very close. This is hypothetical. No, you know, no real names. No, you know, anything. Just, just hypothetical. And they are very close. Very, very close. But one day, Berenna decides that she wants to head out and become a circus clown somewhere in the Isle of Malta. She likes the shoes, the outfit, and the whole bit. But in that, she is forced to shave her head and become a crazy guerrilla warfare person that just shoots people and kills them for their money. Now, in all of that, she's surrounded herself with quite a, a group of friends. And the group of friends she's with are bad influences, as you might imagine. Now, all of a sudden, she's drinking petrol, you know, um, for fun. Needless to say, that's not very good. She's, she, she makes her living beating up nuns and taking their money. She's just become a pretty rotten person. But worse than all of that is she has stolen John's precious gold award that he got when he was in junior, when he was in elementary school, when he was in primary school for, for football. And she has sold it now. She sold it for six pounds, but it was enough to help her get the shoes she needed to become a clown in Malta. Now, needless to say, she is really, she has a lifestyle that's very, very unlike her parents. And with all of that now, she's going to try to get right. Now, there was a time she lived with them and they were close. They'd wake up in the morning and they would sing songs together, unclown songs. They would do, they would play games at night. During the day, they would laugh. They would go on trips. But she's far away now. But lo and behold, she, she beats up one nun too many. But in that, she finds that this particular nun has a cell phone, a mobile. And so she's laying there in a bloody mess from the super nun, Kung Fu nun. You may not know her. She all of a sudden finds next to her this, this mobile. She picks up this mobile and she calls. 
says, Mom, I want to go home. I'm so sorry for what I've done. I'm just so sorry. I've clearly defamed you guys. I've clearly hurt you. Please forgive me. And of course, John says, no way. No, of course he doesn't say that. He says, of course, please, please come home. Please, I love you. I, I, I'm opening my heart to you again. We would expect that from John. But the problem is, though they have been reconciled via the mobile, she's still living on Malta. And for her to have the intimacy once had, John says the one thing she had hoped he'd say, please come home. Now she could say, well, I have a home. It's a tent here in Malta with the other clowns. That's my home. But that's not what John's saying. What John's saying is, come home to my home, our home, where we were intimate, where you were safe, where we don't drink petrol and beat up nuns, where you don't have to dress like a clown. It's your home. Do you see the difference? Because that's the difference here that God has given me, Jacob. Jacob, by the end of this chapter, he will be a hero. This is our graduation chapter. And by the way, for him to get there, things are going to have to die. That will be the entire message next week. What has to die to become alive? Here, I want you to go, and when you go, I want you to make an altar. That's what we need. It's a place of sacrifice. Not your sacrifice. An innocent sacrifice. That's where you meet. And I want you to go back to the place. You remember the last time you were there? You were scared. You were alone and you had nothing. In other words, at this place, I met you when you were sure, you were sure, you were sure that you needed me. And in between then and now, you've been deciding whether or not you want me. And where you want me. How you want me. There, you needed me. In between, you don't know it, but you've needed me every breath you've taken. You were just very aware of it here. Does that make sense? Do you see why he would call back there? In the book of Ephesians, I'm sorry, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, in the first seven verses, God speaks to the church of Ephesus. And he speaks of a church that's very well equipped in the word, or at least in the truth. And they know how to smell out a phony. They can tell a person that calls himself a prophet, but they're a false one. They can tell about a guy who thinks he's an apostle, but they're really not an apostle. And all of this, he's like, well, you know, you guys have a fantastic discernment ministry. You guys really know how to sniff out the phonies. You know all of that. He goes, but I have this against you. That's not enough. You left your first love. Now, if God were us, and we should all be thankful he's none of us, He'd say, so I just thought I'd let you know before I fought you, <laughs> before I smited thee. Right? Now you know why I'm angry. Because you've left me. But that's not what God says. He says three simple things. Remember from where you've fallen. Remember when you needed me, when you wanted me. Remember. And repent which simply means turn around and go back home. And then return. Remember, repent, and return.
Him. That's what He says to the Ephesian church. And it's the same thing He's saying here to Jacob. And by the way, can I dare say, it's the same thing He's saying to every one of us. Either stay home with me or come home to me. For those who are where they should be, John 15, Jesus says, abide, stay. You can't bear fruit without me. You can't live without me. Stay with me. Now, verse 2. And the rest of the verses will pick up quicker, by the way, so you can we will get out of here before I have to catch my plane. Jacob said to his household and all who were with him. Now, here's the practical part. Verse 1, in essence, if you think about it, was the personal part of getting right with him. Which, by the way, hear me out, will never be you doing it and God responding. It's God doing it and you responding.
swear. So what around my head? What around my arm? Oh, he hated me. Anyway, I don't know why. Yeah. Technically, I did swear. I'm not saying that it was right. Now listen, this morning, it's a pretty good possibility all of you did this physically. No, I didn't watch any of you, so don't think I'm being creepy. But chances are what happened is when you woke up this morning, you thought, probably shouldn't wear this to church. So what I'm going to probably do is I'm going to go and drop this, jump in the shower, clean myself off a little bit, and then put on something for the day. Then thus you came smelling relatively good and looking like you did, which is relatively great. Now, with all of that in mind, God says, how about if every time you did that, you thought of it? Every morning you say, you know what, God, I have the opportunity. You, 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 chances are, unless you're like me, I'm a little weird about this. I actually like to pick up my clothes the day before. Anyways, um, I don't know. There's something in the morning where I don't have a lot of choice-making skills, so it's better at night. But, I mean, so what if in the morning you actually opened up your spiritual closet and said, hmm, old man, old man, that's, that's important. Actually, he ministers in um, Jerusalem. He's one of the guys we sent to plan a work there. John Michael. Lovely, lovely man. And his wife. Man, and I tell you, great thing. John Michael, by the way, he was, he was a large man. I mean, he's well over two and a half, 250. And he went and did the stomach staple surgery. You know, I, I'm not too sure how they do it, but basically they kind of take you to an office max somewhere and they kind of cut you open. <laughs> however that is. And... And, and he says, okay, how much is it going to cost me? And he's, they, they said, well, you're going to need a budget for it. And in that, they're like, okay, this is how much it's going to cost for the surgery, and here's the other amount that you're going to need to, um, you're going to need to also, you know, this is part of it. You're going to need this money. This is part of the budget. And you go, well, why is that? Why do you need that? Watch, he goes, wardrobe. You're losing half of you. <laughs> do you really think you're going to wear any of the clothing you had before? You're going to look like a belt. I mean, think about it. And so, and he's like, well, that hasn't even occurred to me that I'm going to have to buy a whole new wardrobe. God says, look it, when you actually came to the cross, boom, I got rid of the old man. There's a new, whole new wardrobe. You don't fit into the old guy. It looks weird now. And there you are, saved, and you're trying to put on the old man, and it doesn't fit right. And you're like, what's up, homie? I'm cool. People are like, yeah, that just doesn't fit now. And I'm bad. And you're like, you know, I'm bad for Jesus. Bad. <laughs> wicked, man. Wicked. Christ. And you're like, what? I don't care. You fit in. And you're like, that doesn't fit anymore. Open up that closet and go, you know what, Lord? You can just get rid of this. Why do I need this anymore? Is it like I plan on ever being that guy again? Chuck it. Let's wash up. But look at the washing. Renew it. And then I think, well, wait a minute. And then I read Ephesians 5. That tells me that husbands are to wash their wives in the water of the word. And I think, oh God, I get it. I put out the old one. Get me a new word and cleanse me and wash me. And put on you. Put on the new me. Because that's the guy the world needs to see. That's the, that's the person who actually will love my wife like Christ loved the church. That's the one who will actually serve my kids and lead them the way that they need one that will be the pastor you need to be. Now, as we go to prayer, look at what it says in the rest of it. Should we get up and do it? Yeah, I think it's a great idea. We should get up. Now, I'm not telling you, no, wait, listen. Time spiritually. I'm not telling you get up, change clothes and all that. What I'm telling you is, 
get up. And I'm telling you, let's, I mean, if you've, if you've not been, Juan's all for it. Look at he's ready. Listen, in this, beloved, and we're going to stand and pray here in a moment, I just want to say this, please, friends. Today's the day you want to make that choice. To lay down who you were, let Christ's blood wash you absolutely clean. If you've given your life to Christ, let his word continue to wash you. People are like, look, you've been brainwashed. Yes, praise God, because my mind was filthy. There's something wrong with a clean mind. That's what, you know, anyway, you know, I think there's something like, well, wait a minute, that doesn't mean I'm a robot. That doesn't mean I'm mindless. To be honest, I think straighter now than I've ever thought. Does that mean that you're dumber? Actually, no, actually, I think I'm actually smarter than I've ever been. That's like saying, well, I'm an expert in Monopoly, but the guy's broke in real life. I'm like, well, great that you can play your little game, but in reality, eternity's reality. And everything you save up on this thing sooner or later, you're going to have to close the game up and put the board back in its box and put you in your box. And then what's going to happen? Let's go. And I will make an altar there. And that's what he says. Like, I'm going to make an altar there. And so what he says is he answers, because God was there in my distress. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods, their earrings, and all the stuff that they used to worship with. They hid it, and they buried it. It was the first burial in this chapter. There'll be four of them. What did they bury? All of their gods. And when they buried it, what happened? It says, after that, God says, I tell you what, we're not going to let anything stop you, no. No matter what, on your way there, we're not going to let anything stop you. I mean, we're not going to let any of those enemies jump in your way now because you want to come home. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of you getting home to me. I'm not going to let anything get in the way of that. Nothing. So with that, what happens? Jacob goes there and he builds the altar in verse 7. It says he calls it El Bethel. Stand with me for a moment. Listen to this. But God says, I want you to go to Bethel. What does El Bethel mean? Bethel means the house of God. What does El Bethel mean? It means God of the house of God. It's not just that he's going to a place. Listen, all that God's like, I want you to go to this place. It's Bethel. Go here. And Jacob goes, you know what? I realized when I got here, it wasn't that I went to the place. I went to the God of the place. See, I was in Shechem. I don't belong in Shechem. This isn't where I belong. Because it isn't just a geographical issue. It's a spiritual issue. I don't want to just go to Bethel. And, well, you know what? I'm just going to go to church. That'll do it. I want to go to the God of the church. I'm going back to the God of the church, El Bethel. And Jacob then has to turn to his wives, to these other people that have been taken from Shechem. He looks at all of them and says, listen, this isn't where I'm with God with me. I want to challenge you. What about you? Well, if I'm going to be there, I recognize the prayer away from saying, God, I want to be right with you. And again, if you've never accepted the gift of Jesus, here's a prayer away, and I want to lead you in that prayer. If you have accepted the Lord, and you're not where you belong, you're in the far country, you're one prayer away from being right with Him personally. But, the Lord's going to want to make some changes and get you out of Malta, get you out of beaten up nuns, and get you out of your clown suit. And get you back home where you belong. And why wouldn't he do that if he loves you? The cool thing is, if you lay that before God and you lay everything down, you might be surprised at what he takes and what he doesn't. Some things I don't think you'll be surprised at all. You already know you're in rebellion. Relationships, things you're holding on to, things you do personally. But in that, friends, Hear me out with you, friends. God is not a God of not. He's a God of instead. And he'll never take anything from you that he won't replace with something better. Nothing. And you'll never know what he has to give you until you let go of what you have. And it starts with your heart. Will you pray with me?
God, thank you, thank you, thank you so much that you are the God of the house of God. And that you don't just invite us to your house and then leave. You invite us to the house so that you can be, we can be intimate. And I, and I, I have to be honest with you, God, and I'm just going to speak for myself. I have a wandering heart. I have this terrible wanderlust of wanting to get out and just investigate. And some of the places I would investigate in my heart, places that I know I have an appetite for, are places you would not ordain for me to go. And I thank you for those times when you put things in my way. First and foremost, simply your Holy Spirit that says, no, 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 that's not right. Thank you, Lord, when you do that. And I know you do it every Forgive me for those moments when I would want to sort of deafen myself and harden myself in your Holy Spirit to go beyond that to something I'm fiercely craving. And God, I want to pray first for my brothers and sisters in this room and myself, those who have made friends here, who have gotten the name changed, who have gotten the life changed, who have gotten our old men laid down at the cross, buried with you, and have been raised anew, a new creation. God, if there is any part of us that is in the far country, any part of us that is in mist, that's in our own second, call us back, not just to Bethel, but to Elbethel. Call us back to you, the God of we recognize heaven isn't heaven if you're not there. It isn't about being a naked baby playing a harp. It isn't about not being sick or not getting old or about not having sin. First and foremost, what makes heaven heaven is you. That's what makes heaven heaven. And we get a taste of it here. So God, first of all, I just want to give a moment to every believer in this room, myself included, just to have our own moment of just crying out to you in our hearts that we would be right personally in every way. And so, beloved, take this moment and just let the Lord speak to you. And if there's anything in your life, first of all, if you have any recognition of anything amiss, cry out to him right now. you to show us how we are to shed who we were. How we are to immerse ourselves in you and your purity and to put on you. What changes need to happen give us the wisdom, the courage, and the strength to make those changes. And if we can't, if we're just confident we can't make that change, then you change it for us. If we can't break up with a relationship we shouldn't be in, God, drive them away. We recognize when we say amen, and it does happen because you would want this. We're reminded you don't have a repl- you don't have a removal clause; it's a replacement clause, and that mean that may mean that it doesn't mean that you're going to replace them with someone else. 
Like, first, except for the one person that really matters, that's you. And God, if they're taking your place, then they need to be out. Or at least move to where they're supposed to be. So please make those changes. And while saints are seeking right now to be right, that we would leave here so right. If you've never accepted or you're not sure if you've ever accepted the gift of Jesus Christ, it's simple. He died so that he could pay for your crimes, your filth, your sin, your wrong, so that all of your wrong could be punished and was perfectly punished on the cross. And then he rose again to make you and offer you to be a new person, brand new, under his dominion and his purity. And if you have not accepted that gift or know today you need to, and I'm sure the Holy Spirit's making that clear to you, I'm just going to pray a prayer. And at the end of it all, I ask you simply to say amen. And what you're saying is, Let that prayer be my prayer. Let those words be my words. And here's the prayer. God, I will be honest with you. I'm not perfect. You know that. I know that. I've done wrong. But your word here says you love me and you punished all my wrong on your son who was completely innocent but chose to take my punishment so that I could be made right with you, purified by his answer. That if he died on the cross, my penalty paid. My penalty died there too. And as he rose again, just like your word promised, he offers me new life as my as as my resurrected child. And I say yes. I say yes to your payment for me. Your your yes to your redemption for me. Yes. For your offer of purity for me. I surrender myself to you and I offer you the one thing you want, my love. So have me now. Make me right. In Jesus' name, I boldly ask you to say, Amen. Thank you, saints. It's, it's so good to see you. It's so good to be here. If you need to run, we recognize we've gone late quite some, but feel like I didn't realize that, praise God. If you did realize that, don't tell me. Um, pray for me. Uh, anyways, please, enjoy each other on your way out. Enjoy fellowship. And, and again, if the Lord, maybe, if the Lord has made something in your heart and said, look it, I want to make these changes, and you have someone here that you know loves the Lord, speak to them and have, and encourage them to jump in that battle with you, to be praying for you, holding you accountable, doing that work that God wants to do in your life that more than you can share in the spoils of God's victory in our lives. Lord, bless our precious brothers and sisters. Bless them, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.